This week on the show, we covered the previous status report of the fourth quarter of 2022, how you can limit your jail and the processes it runs. The parallel port is what we're covering a little bit. Hello System 0.8 got a bunch of cool things to update, so we covered that here as well. Soulborns in space, as well as other nice goodies and gems in this week's episode of BSD Now, episode 495, Limited Jail Time, recorded on the 3rd of February, 2023. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. This is the backup system for truly paranoid people, which you can find at tarsnap.com slash BSD Now. And if you want to support us in one way or the other, in a small donation, a tip jar, or a bigger uh, donation, whatever it is, check out our Patreon page first at patreon.com slash bsdnow and consider donating. Thank you. Hi, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Tom Jones. Welcome. We have headlines for you. As always, when do we not have a show with headlines? That would be awesome. Uh, special episodes besides. These, uh, <laughs> these are special episodes. And we take Every episode is a special episode, Benedict. Yeah. But this one has the FreeBSD status report of the fourth quarter of 2022. So that is always interesting. And it's been compiled by various people. First, the people sending them in, writing them reports, and the people compiling them together to have this nice overview. And the beginning of it, the introductory part goes, the new year has started. There's the last status report of 2022, including 34 reports. You will also notice that for the first time, a new category has been introduced. Ooh, the cloud category. Uh, as FreeBSD keeps up to date, the latest technologies in IT projects dealing with the cloud make steady improvements. And thus, it has been judged that they deserve their own category in the status reports. Rightly so. The new category is not the only change about status reports. Indeed, the status report team is revisiting its own workflow to become more efficient. If you are a report submitter, please ensure to read carefully the report authored by the status team, as well as the next call for reports emails to keep up with the most recent changes. Have a nice read. Uh, this is Lorenzo Salvadore on behalf of the status team. So, of course, the report is quite big and 34 reports would fill up this whole episode. Um, we just briefly glance over it so that you can get the nuggets out yourself, linking from our show notes. And here is the team reports. They are either from the core team, the FreeBSD Foundation, the release engineering team, the cluster admin team, continuous integration, ports collection, and status reports about the new workflow we just mentioned. Then there's something about the projects that we're undergoing. For example, a console screen reader infrastructure. Uh, there's Vessel, an integrated application container for FreeBSD. Interesting. Enable the NFS server to run in a VNet prison. Also good to have. PyTest support for the FreeBSD testing framework. Uh, userland changes uh, include the base system open SSH update. Always good to have fresh SSH binaries. Uh, kernel enabling snapshots on file systems using journal soft updates. There are wireless updates. I guess people are looking forward to those. Netlink on FreeBSD. A big update to the whole infrastructure in the way um, IF config works or in the future maybe IP 
Uh, adding basic CTF support to DDB in architecture space, we have CherryBSD 22.12 release. The risk 64 improvements for FreeBSD. Um, there's a bit more about FreeBSD at risk 65, so there's plenty of stuff to read there. And FreeBSD ARM 64 on Zen. And here's the uh, freshly new cloud category for you. For example, FreeBSD on Microsoft Hyper-V and Azure. FreeBSD on a tier one cloud init platform and OpenStack on FreeBSD. Ah. Documentation area has the documentation engineering team report as well as FreeBSD presentations and papers. In ports land, there's also busy activity as always. Fresh ports, there's help wanted from Dan Langell. You should check that out and see if you can help. Uh, PortsDB, a program that imports the ports tree into an SQLite database and why that is useful. KDE on FreeBSD as well as XFC on FreeBSD, the Pantheon desktop on FreeBSD, uh, Budgie desktop on FreeBSD, all kinds of desktops here. Then there is GCC on FreeBSD and another milestone for the biology ports. There's also third-party projects which include containers and FreeBSD, Pot, Potluck and Potman. So pick up your favorite report or read them all to know what the project has been doing and its various busy beavers in certain areas of the project tree. Okay, next up we have the title article for the show, and this comes from Dan Langle's other diary, uh, the other other one. Um, it seems like the CSS is a bit weird because the text is very small for me. Um, this is a post on how to limit a jail. Dan writes, after encountering a rare instance where processing a FreeBSD commit caused fresh ports to run low on resources, I wonder what happened there. Um, I want to investigate how limiting a jail might help the situation. I searched for jail limit, found sentencing guidelines. I searched for jail limit FreeBSD and found a FreeBSD forums referring me to RCTL, which are recognized from my day job. I just rebooted my host to add this line to bootloader.conf, uh, kern.racct.enable equals one. Then I started referring to my copy of FreeBSD Jails Mastery, IT Mastery Book 15, uh, as an Amazon associate I earned from qualifying purchases, but not like when I read it out loud, so it won't help you, Dan, I'm sorry. If you're going to buy the book, go to Dan's website and then click the link. In this post, this post was written using FreeBSD 13.1 release P3 on a host known as new, spelled K-N-E-W, using a jail named empty, spelled empty. The test script being used is um, a very simple shell script, um, which CDs to user ports editors ghostwriter, echoes starting, runs make generate plist, and echoes done. That invokes the loop shown in the blog post also linked above. First attempt, limit the number of processes. I tried sudo rctl jail empty maxproc deny equals 100. That did not limit the jail to 100 processors. I was watching top running in the jail and I watched it past 160 processes before I control seed. Going back, I knew there, going back, I see there are no limits in place. Uh, sudo rctl, sudo rctl jail empty max proc deny equals zero pseudo jail rctl just nine let's try an example straight from the book i have that book but i've not read it and um, let's try an example straight from the book pseudo jail rctl jail empty read iops throttle equals 10 pseudo jail rctl pseudo rctl nothing wtf what the fudge reading the manual 
I'm not using dash a, so let's try that. Uh, sudo jlrctl dash a, jl empty, read.io up throttle, blah, 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 blah. Pseudo jlrctl, rctl, jl empty, read iops throttle equals 10. Success! Let's try this again. This time with limits. This time I get um, a lot of stuff. Um, not good enough. It will still loop. It's because you set the jail iops. Um, this time with sig kill, I added a sig kill rule and changed the number of processes to 30. Let's fail faster. Uh, pseudo jail rctl dash a jail empty max proc sig kill equals 30. Pseudo jail rctl jail empty max proc sig kill equals 30. Jail empty max proc deny equals 100. Jail empty read iops throttle equals 10. Pseudo jail rc pseudo rctl dash r jail empty max proc deny equals 100. I uh, list it again. Now it's gone. Um, set it again and it comes back. I also cleaned up the rules so I only had the one I wanted to test. And he runs it again, and there's a big string of kills in there. I call that a success. Now I just have to figure out my tolerance for how many processes to allow. Logging max processes. My next goal, how many processes does my jail use when processing a commit? This could vary depending on how large the commit. How do I log this information? Searching for monitor number of processes in a jail FreeBSD, I find another FreeBSD forums post which prompted me to try this. Um, RCTL jail empty max procs log equals 25. It's really annoying that not specifying dash A and specifying it results in the same output. Let me try again with dash A and this time it sets. Now when I try this, um, jexec empty uh, configure plist, the command is terminated because of the sig kill rule. I went to look at the log file. tail dash F var log messages. Um, Stuff from Mosquito and stuff from NRP. Nothing. What's wrong? The messages are logged to the host, silly, not the jail. That This is what I found in var log messages on the host. Uh, new kernel rctl rule jail empty max proc log 25 matched by pid sh uid 0 jail empty. And lots of these. I will implement something similar on the fresh ports jail nodes. However, that is a different host, which now needs to be rebooted for S locum. I don't know what that is. Another server in the basement, which hosts dev test and stage for fresh ports. Um, and then Dan can offers the initial configuration for that server. Cool. Thanks, Dan. That was fun. Oh, wait, there's a this, this just in. This just in. Um, RCTL um, hit the log mac, the max proc log rule. That's the system. That's the system's periodic script kicking off at 0301 UTC. Note the empty jail I use for testing. None of the three fresh porch jails on the host have this yet. But I think that's good. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, always good to have these things in place if processes go wild. And then we have in the news roundup, the parallel port. Remember those? No. This one, <laughs> it starts with uh, computers are bad and it's on the domain computer.rip. So here we go. A few days ago on a certain orange website, I came across an article about an improvised parallel printer capture device. This contains the line, there are other projects out there, but when you Google for terms such as parallel port to USB, 
update drowned in a sea of USB to parallel port results. Now, the author came up with a perfectly elegant and working solution. On reading that article, I immediately thought, hmm, aren't they just being an idiot? Why not just use a USB parallel port controller? Well, this spurred me to do some further reading on the humble parallel port. It turns out that it is possible, although not certain, that I am in fact the idiot. What I immediately uh, assumed that you could use a USB parallel controller to receive the bytes sent on a parallel printer interface is probably actually true, but it would depend on the specific configuration of the parallel controller in question. And it seems like that inexpensive USB parallel adapters may not be capable. I think there is a good chance that the author's approach was in fact the easier one. Uh, they wrote a popular post about serial ports once, that's linked from the blog post of course, and serial ports are something they think about, worry about, and dream about with some regularity. Yet they have never really devoted that much attention to the serial port's awkward sibling, always assuming that it was a fundamentally similar design employing either eight data pins each way or eight bidirectional data pins. It turns out that the truth is a lot more complicated in many regards, and it all starts with printers. You see, they have written here before that parallel ports are popular with printers because they avoid the need to buffer bits to assemble bytes allowing the printer to operate an entire character at a time or at a entire characters at a time in a fashion similar to the electromechanical Bordeaux teleprinters that early computer printers were based on. This isn't wrong, it's actually more correct than I had realized. The computer parallel port as we know it today was in fact designed entirely for printers, at least if you take the most straightforward historical lineage. And then they start going at the beginning of the modern parallel port, dot matrix printer, and demonstrate how that uh, goes. It's a long article about really various, you know, ways of controlling computer or parallel port printers and uh, connectivities and, you know, vendors that also do their own thing. So definitely check out the whole article. There is plenty of interesting historic parts there. Okay, next up we have Hello System 0.8.0 released, and it was released two weeks ago, so it's probably going to be a month old by the time you hear this. And it comes with a list of updates, and updates to the core system. Hello System is now based on FreeBSD 13.1 release. Uh, the launch command, which used to be throughout the system, used throughout the system to launch applications now uses a database of application bundles on the system. VirtualBox guest editions are pre-installed and enabled, providing for a seamless resizing of the screen, copy and paste, etc. when running in VirtualBox. If the language cannot be inferred from the prevlang kbd EFI variable, which is set by macOS, or from an attached Raspberry Pi keyboard and hub, which communicates its language to the system, as all keyboards should do but don't, I don't agree with that, um, then the user is asked to select a system language. The keyboard preferences application writes the selected keyboard layout to the NFI NVRAM variable, where it persists across reboots. MIDI controllers, keyboards, and such attached to the system via USB should now be available via the ALSA MIDI supporting applications automatically, thanks to H. Lasky for ALSA Seek Server. Uh, see, sequence. Uh, initial support for launching some app images using the launch command, requires a Debian runtime to be installed. Updated init GFX added support for GeForce RTX 3070 GPU, cool. Using DRM 510 KMOD to support recent 
Intel GPUs like the Tiger Lake LP GT2 Iris Xe graphics found in the framework laptop with the 11th gen core. Note, does not work yet on the framework mainboard with HDMI display attached over USB 3 hub that supports DP alt mode. User interface, increased contrast to the startup screen. Filer now shows application icons for app images. Menu now shows app image files. Searching menu also works for submenus. Menu search results are now shown with icons and shortcuts. The system menu now has force quit. Menu now searches the local file system. Filer now shows thumbnails for MP3 files. Menu now shows the name of applications while they're being launched. Menu now shows the icon of active application on the right-hand side and allows switching between applications from there. Dock is no longer automatically started. Filer now shows EPUB files with their cover image. Launching an already application now brings all the window of that application to the front instead of starting a new process. Clicking on the time in the menu shows a detailed date, including weekday, including a time zone. Filer can now copy files to disk by dragging them. Filer can now put items into a trash by dragging them to a trash. Filer can now eject disks by dragging them to a trash. Documents can now be opened by drag and drop on applications. Menu can now default file and edit menus in case the application doesn't have friendly menus. Filer now has spring-loaded folders. Filer now shows emblems on folders. Lots of stuff. Desktop infrastructure. In preparation of supporting XDG specification only as a fallback, new infrastructure for launching applications and opening files is introduced. This is currently subject to frequent changes. Applications now comes with the Troyata email application in the menu. GPU acceleration is now enabled for web engine based browsers such as Falcon. When documents are double clicked for which an application can be downloaded, offer to download the application. New processes utility and bug fixes. Install Debian runtime should now work properly. Install Debian runtime can now be found on the live ISO. Improved reliability and performance of minor archives. Increased robustness uh, for removing directories. Do not automate EFI system uh, partitions. Boot longer loader no longer very slow on some Max. Menu can no longer steal focus from applications. Menu can be invoked with command space. Cool. Shortcuts can be used while a menu is open. File now raises the window to the foreground. Applications launched through app placeholder are not wrapped in two layers of launch anymore. Delete key works in ZSH. Improves the ability of the live ISO by not using unionfs o below. Menu performance has been improved by importing menus. Um, there's infrastructure for cross-platform buildability can now be tested in Alpine Linux CH for using Linux relators. And a couple of known issues, volume, keys, and brightness don't work. MP3 thumbnailer does not size down the thumbnails. Command Shift 3 does not make a screenshot. Uh, USB, USB SD card readers can make the system unbootable. Wow, I wonder why. Cool, that's wonderful to see so much development going into Hello System. Well done, guys. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Then we have found uh, Soulborns in space, not personally, but a blog post about them. And they start with two pictures, of course, from space, how they float around. And start with, did a few updates to the Soulborn Solace, thanks to new stuff people have sent in. Soulborn, of course, being one of the Sun's most notable competitions or competitors in Spark-based workstations and servers. The most interesting new entry is the Spacefaring Pilot, which stands for Portable In-Flight Landing Operations Trainer. Uh, that laptop, reported by Scott Manley, who noted it in Space Shuttle mission photographs. While the Spark Soulborn S3000 portable workstation is well known, this was the only known Soulborn laptop and its only color portable, although it carried both Soulborn and Panasonic badges. Machita, owner of the Panasonic brand, had a majority stake in Soulborn. 
and was most likely designed and manufactured in Machitas Federal Systems Division under contract instead of Solborns in Longmont, Colorado. NASA commissioned it as a portable simulator to ensure that the Space Shuttle Commander and pilot could maintain their skills in orbit, and it flew at least from October 1993 to March 1995, uh, which the pictures here in the blog post are from the STS-62 and STS-63 mission, and was documented on STS-58, 61, 62, 63, 65, and 67. Cool. The machine itself had 62, 62 megabytes of RAM, 15-inch color LCD, and a dedicated rotational hand controller. The software was NASA's own shuttle engineering simulation, SES, ported to Spark from the Control Data Corporation Cyber 180 Model 962, an upgraded version of the RISC Cyber 180960, at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, and ran an OS-MP4.1A Solborn's equivalent of Sun OS 4.4.1. Its motherboard was most likely a Solborn Pizza Box IDT logic board, a board the same one used in the S3000, 4000, and 4100, which directly competed with OG Spark stations, making the reported speed of 40 MHz suspect since the Panasonic NM1051 KAP, short from Kick Ass Processor, yeah, really, was notoriously unstable above. Three, uh, 36 megahertz. Okay. Suspiciously similar laptop called the Machita Pre 2100 was announced in 1992, but by then Sun was making moves to freeze Spark clone makers out of the market, particularly Solborn, who had cornered the more profitable upper tiers and refused to license Solaris to anyone like they did SunOS. Uh, side note Apple later pulled the same stunt on the Mac clones and Mac OS 8. The P 2100 doesn't seem to have. Uh, been ever released, and while a few pilot examples were likely fabricated, no one so far has found one. Pilot was eventually replaced by various IBM ThinkPads, which went on to have a well-known and illustrious career in space. And they note a big thanks to Warner Losh and Dieter Dworkin Miller for the probable scoop on Pilot, as well as Scott's own research in his initial report in this unofficial NASA description from 1994. Very cool. So some some bytes have weird bits. There was a DEFCON CTF where they had a processor instruction which had nine bits with a middle endian, and other other bytes have even weirder bits. But if Beastie was a byte made of bits, would it have thirteen bits? This week in the Beastie bits, we start with a note from the uh, from TUHS, the Unix Hysterical Society, uh, collecting notes for future historians. Um, earliest Unix workstation. Joseph Holstein wrote, and if I'm writing in trough, if there, is there a preferred macro set for articles these days? A decade ago, I wrote manuals in MDoc and papers in LaTeX, but these days I just lean on Pandoc to translate. I'll need to knock my rust off. There's always me. It's pretty easy to acquire and will produce authentic looking traditional Unix papers with little effort. Here's a manual that Larry Collar and I wrote in source and PDF forms has gotten positive feedback from the Groff mailing list. Brandon, this is from G. Brandon Robinson, and they include a set of Trough MS macros and a PDF of a paper that it then generates. The paper looked quite good. Um, if you want to be writing a lot of stuff in in Gruff, in Trough or Gruff, then you could do that, but not the Go, the Unix tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, good to have these macro processors still out there and working. 
Then we have a new open position at the FreeBSD Foundation, a FreeBSD userland software developer they are looking for. And the announcement on their website is from January 27, although I think you can still apply. And it goes like the following. Are you a versatile problem solver with a knack for operating system development? Do you thrive working in an open source development environment with a diverse team? If so, the FreeBSD Foundation is searching for a software developer with varied interests and skills and a passion to perfect the user experience on FreeBSD. And they have a more detailed uh, job application or description of responsibilities and skills on their website. Uh, this is a full-time position and you will have various benefits listed, of course. The work location is remote and uh, yeah, it's basically at the FreeBSD Foundation. Talking of weird bits and odd stuff, we have a post here from our friend Michael W. Lucas from his blog at nwl.io. Michael writes, the one lone audiobook now exclusively on my store. I started work on Savage by System D audiobook in the summer of 2019, thinking it was short enough to be affordable, long enough to be a legit audiobook, and the right length to listen to on a commute. As an SBS audiobook is completely ridiculous, I plan to release it on the 1st of April 2020. I had no idea that commuting would no longer be a thing in 2020. Oh well, I uploaded it to the various stores and forgot about it. The audiobook was available in every store I could reach, but the biggest retailer is Audible. I suppose supposedly get 25% cut of the cover price on every sale. They claim to have sold 48 copies, which should get me about $119. A quick check shows that I received less than half of that because Audible's policies make with 25% payment optional. Most of the other stores pay about 40% cover price, but their sales are negligible. I've pulled the audiobook from all retailers, effective today. Some stores may still have copies, but as the database churns, they should disappear. Audible in particular is being difficult. Because they can't imagine anyone deciding to stop doing business with them, they don't provide an unpublished option. I contacted their help desk, which gave me the secret email address to contact who will send me questing to collect three tokens from the fallen angels of... Uh, yeah, well, you get the idea. Instead, it's now exclusively on my bookstore. You can listen in the BookFunnel app, a browser, or download DRM3 MP3. It's not that I expected this audiobook to sell millions, it was an investment in exploring audiobook technology. J. Daniel Sawyer charged very reasonable rates to record and produce it. I'm pleased with the end product. It would be nice if the audiobook would sell enough to repay that investment. That's impossible if the main sales channel is audible. BookFunnel, my ebook distributor, opened an audiobook beta. It's free while in beta, but will cost $10 a month when it enters production. That's enough time for me to test passive sales through my site. Selling 13 copies in a year will be enough to start. Well, selling 13 audiobooks in a year will let me start to pay back my investment. Will I do more audiobooks in the future? Unlikely. I'm a fringe author. My books don't sell well enough to justify audiobooks. I could save a bunch of money by using AI narration, but you might as well use your e-reader's text-to-speech feature. Voice actors, real-life humans, and emotions and inflection and character are the whole point of audiobooks. I'll post a follow-up in a few months. Also, the first of April pranks should have meat on them. This one generated so many agonized groans that I heard them echo in from all around the world. Worth it. What do you think, Tom? Audiobook reading as a little side business? Um, 
Yeah, but I, your I, voice? I, I'm going to charge unreasonable rates for that. I'm, I'm kind of sick of <laughs> I'm them. fairly sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you, this takes so long to plug a microphone in and, and get it to do it, and you'd have to, you know, That's do work. Well. Yeah, I mean, I'm already exhausted. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the people have real talent. Who, uh, If you listen to a couple of audiobooks, um, that's really talent, like different voices, different emotions, like Michael writes. That's certainly a profession or a professional business giving all these uh, lone texts on paper a bit of life. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of craft to it, and it's lost if you just have um, the festival read the book back to you. Um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. worth the investment. If you like audiobooks, you should check out Savage by System D as an audiobook and help Michael uh, be wrong because it's funny to make him wrong about stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. BSC now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups, and Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe, but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud. You can be sure that only you have the ability to read your data. Tarsnap takes your data and works out what is duplicated, so that band it then assembles the data into compressed blocks and creates them with your local private key, and this key never leaves your system. The data is then uploaded into the cloud. Even if someone is able to obtain your data in the cloud, they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files. Tarsnap is easy to use. If you can use Tar, then you can use Tarsnap. Tarsnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. Tarsnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code and make sure it does what we say it does. And Tarsnap has bug bounties, so that if you find errors in the code, you can get paid for helping make the software better. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse not to have good backups. Go to tarsnap.com to learn more. And yeah, this pretty much brings us to the end of our episode this week. Uh, we will have uh, future content, of course, next week, like pretty much always. Uh, definitely check out the full uh, articles and the links we have in the show notes and wait up for our next episode that's coming out next week. <laughs>